Mark chapter 3. We're working our way through the Gospel of Mark, one little paragraph at a time. And uh, we're starting in verse 7 tonight. Jesus withdrew uh, with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and uh, Edomia, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So... Uh, when I say the word discipleship, you probably have certain things that kind of come into your mind. And uh, it certainly is a loaded term, and it probably means different things um, in different churches, in different parts of the world, and different over the span of time. And uh, there are probably a lot of different ways to, to think about it. And so I'm not going to try to give you the, like, like a correct definition of discipleship. Uh, but some important things should come to mind that I think will help us really understand um, what Jesus means when, when he is talking about coming after him and being one of his disciples. Um, you know, discipleship is a term that we've kind of created, let's say. Um, but what does Jesus mean when he, like, calls someone and says, if you, whoever wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Like, what is, what is he talking about when he says that? Um, Couple of, a couple of things that's helpful ideas, I think, in there. One of them would be, it would be the idea of apprenticeship, in a sense. Like you're, he's talking about, do you want to learn to do the things that I do? Like, do you want to learn to live this kind of life? Um, and so just like we're apprenticed in different ways to learn different skills throughout life, that's a part of what discipleship is. So uh, whoever taught you to write and to read and to tie your shoe, like that's a part of of this whole idea of, of teaching you a skill um, that you don't already have, like, in your wheelhouse. And so um, you can look at probably parents and teachers as, uh, over the course of life as discipleship figures, maybe coaches and karate instructors and ballet te- dance you know, instructors and stuff. And um, you could even look at, you know, Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and 321 Contact, uh, yeah, um, three, two, one, contact, and the Bloodhound Gang, and Schoolhouse Rocks, and like all those things that are some of them around, some of them are not. But a lot of us grew up with those those kinds of uh, folks teaching us skills that maybe we didn't have, you know, already. And so all those relationships together were like teaching us how to become like 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 functioning humans. So discipleship has a little bit of that element to it of you're you're apprenticing, you're learning some kind of skill that you don't really have already. Um, and we should be very grateful for those things. I mean, my first exposure to funk music was learning to count to 12, thanks to the Pointer Sisters, right? You guys remember that little tune? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 
that was the first time I was ever like, that's what music is supposed to sound like. Who knew? Um, So those kinds of things are, there's like discipleship kind of in that. You're learning to do something you don't know how to do already. Um, So apprenticeship, uh, like a mentoring relationship is in there as well. Because you can be apprenticed and you're just kind of getting a skill, but there isn't a relationship there. And so when Jesus says, come after me, a part of what he's saying is, I want a relationship with you. So you may have been apprenticed by someone that you didn't have a relationship with. When you have a relationship with them, it's also it kind of moves in this category of, of someone being a mentor to you. Because you spend time together, and they get to know you, and you get to know them, and it kind of has this like long-term lasting effect, You know, this kind of a special relationship. And so Mr. Rogers may have been a mentoring, I mean, an apprenticing figure to you in some certain ways, but he wasn't a mentor because you don't know him and he doesn't know you. Your mentors would be those, those like parents and, and teachers and uh, maybe some Sunday school folks or some coaches, the ones that you still keep in touch with. You know? But those were the relationships. Those were more of a mentor kind of thing. So apprenticeship is in there. Mentoring is in there. But also this idea of like, transformation like, you can be apprenticed by someone where you can just learn a skill. It could cross relationally into mentoring where they're, they know you, you know them. They're really speaking into your life and, and stuff. But transformation is when you're like, no, like, I want to be just like you. Like, I want to become you. Um, I want to be exactly like you when I grow up, that kind of thing. And so as you're learning and as that relationship is shaping you, you're also you're morphing and you're changing, you're growing because you want to be exactly like the, the master teacher in this situation. And so when Jesus calls people to be his disciples, and when he invites us to come after him, in part he's saying, um, I, want, I want to teach you these skills that you don't have. Essentially, I want to teach you how to live in the kingdom of God. You only know how to live in the kingdom of this broken world. I want to teach you how to live in the, in the kingdom the way it was intended before all that brokenness came in. And I want to teach you to live in it now, but, and I'm also getting you ready for what your entire like, eternity is going to be like. You know? So there is apprenticeship, and it's personal. Like he, He's inviting you into a relationship with him, and so it's mentoring as well. But it uh, it's moves into this transformation like realm that's really unique. Because I, like, I was a French horn player. In high school and in college, that's how that's where my scholarship, you know, came from and stuff. And and I um, I learned to play the French horn like in middle school band, where everyone else learns to play, you know, things. And and then when I was in high school, I started taking private lessons from the French horn professor at LSU. His name is Richard Norum, and he he taught my dad, he taught my uncle, his wife taught my mom uh, elementary music. So to like, I was like a legacy to them when I you know, came along, and so it was like I started taking lessons there, and and it it went from apprenticeship of like, okay, kid, let me teach you how to do these things that you're terrible at, um, and then it became more, you know, like we would spend half of our lessons him just asking me questions about school and life and girls and whatever, you know, like him, but he really like he cared a lot, and so it became this mentoring thing, and so he mentored me, and I wanted to I wanted to become a good French horn player, you know, I guess. But it never was the kind of thing of like, I want to become you. Like that was never a desire. And you probably have never had a desire like that, really. 
with anyone who ever taught you how to do something, anyone who was awesome at something, you wanted to learn those skills maybe, and you wanted to be mentored by them and have that relationship. But very few times are we like, no, I want to literally be you when I'm older. Not like you, like I want it to be indistinguishable between us. That's, that's, that's in a whole different category. And so Jesus, when he's like, come follow me, he is saying, I, I God, want you to come into my life, and I want to teach you these things. I want, to, I want to apprentice you. I want to mentor you, but I also want to transform you. Like, I want, you, like I want our lives to be indistinguishable from each other. Like I, want, like, I want you to be exactly like me. Like, you can do these things. Jesus even says at one point to his disciples, you're actually going to do greater things than I have done. So he's talking about transformation, like this inside-out transformation that's actually going to, to have an impact on the world that, he, that Jesus stands back and he's like, whoa, that's pretty awesome. And so when, when Jesus is talking about discipleship, we're talking about all those things mixed into one. Apprenticeship and mentoring, but transformation, like a caterpillar to a butterfly, like a completely new creation kind of thing. So what does it have to do with this story? Well... Um, his disciples were like they were they had this really amazing opportunity, which is they got to like live life in the shadow of the one who was apprenticing them and mentoring them and and creating this transformational reality for them so they didn 't have to they didn 't have to like you can watch Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and all those kind of things you can watch that. Um, I could take French horn lessons from Mr. Norum and be in his presence. But what Jesus is offering is like, hey, how about you just live life in my shadow all the time? You can watch me. You can listen to what I say. You can watch how I handle things. You can ask questions. I can ask you questions. Um, I can entrust you with things. Uh, we can debrief different things. Like I can do all this kind of stuff with you like 24-7 all the time. If you really want to be like me, then you've got to follow me. Like, you got to walk around with me all the time. So his disciples had this opportunity to just walk around with him and learn and ask questions and listen and, and be trained, like, 24-7 all the time. Now, we live a long time later, obviously, and so we have the scriptures in front of us. And so you get to a story like this, and I think it's helpful for us to think like disciples when we read this. This seems like, a, to me, at first reading, like a transitional part of the story, you know. Like Mark was like, okay, this, is, this has been going on. They had these Sabbath controversies and stuff like that. And then I need to get us into the calling of the Twelve and this other thing. So let me just put this little, put this little paragraph in there that kind of segues us into the next thing. But his disciples were, that's not how they would have looked at this. They would have looked at this as a chance to observe how their rabbi, like their like figure they're transforming into, how he handles this really like kind of exciting situation. And so for us, maybe it's helpful if we think like disciples who are trying to observe so that they know what to imitate, so that they know what to become, they know what they are becoming. And so if you look at it through that lens, let me just, let me give you two things that I just want to focus on for a few minutes. I want to look at, like I want to observe the self-control and patience of our rabbi in this situation. Self-control and patience, most notably in verse 12, where his response is, says, and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. 
Okay, so self-control, patience. That's what we're looking at with our rabbi. Okay, so what, why self-control? Why is this self-control? Okay, so we're, if we're thinking like an observing disciple, let me read 7 through 11 again. And think about the craziness of this situation. Okay, so pretend that you're, you're just walking around with Jesus. You're just walking around with him and you're just watching everything he does. And this is what goes on. Verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. So we're going along with Jesus. We're like, where, where are we going? He's like, to the sea. All right, cool. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Adumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. With, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Okay, so we're watching our rabbi. We're watching how we've seen how he handles the Pharisees trying to like trick him into things. We've watched him handle uh, a crowded room and everyone's trying to get in there and they, suddenly someone cuts a hole in the ceiling. They lower down a man to be healed. We've watched him handle all these kinds of things. Now... We've just shifted from people who are trying to kill him into these, like the masses are coming. So we're following him down by the sea, and there's like, let's just picture it in our minds, there's a whole crowd of people that are coming. And they're not just coming from like, they weren't like with you before. They're traveling, they're traveling miles and miles and miles and miles because they have heard that there is a healer. Like, hey, this, there's a guy, like, if you got a problem, this guy can absolutely heal what is going on. And so these crowds set out. And so here we are, we're following this, like, this rabbi. And there's probably a part of you that's like, yeah, finally. People are starting to know what's up. Like, this dude is amazing. And the crowds are coming in. And so maybe there's a part of us that's like, uh, kind of excited because we're we get to be like we're kind of like in his inner circle a little bit or something. And here come the crowds and they just keep coming, they keep coming, they keep coming. And all these people that are bringing the sick and the diseased and they're they're trying to find him and and so we're watching him and what does he do? He's like, hey, get a boat ready because I may need to like create a little floating stage out there in the water a little bit. Otherwise, this could get really crazy. And so we kind of get a boat ready and stuff. And um, that scenario though. Like think about a think about a person's ego in that. Here are all these people, all these crowds, and they and, and they all want you to do something that you can totally do. It's not like their expectations are out of whack. Like they are like, no, you can heal, you can heal. We've heard that you've healed. Here are all these sick people. And so imagine like kind of the hype and the excitement and, and you're a disciple and you're watching him and you're able to observe, like, how's he gonna handle this? Like, we saw him handle people attacking him and, and, that, and that kind of stuff. But now, how is he going to handle the fame and the hype and the whatever? And, and, and it, it just seems like it doesn't even phase him. I mean, he doesn't want to get crushed by the crowd, so he gets a little boat going on. And, and then, you know, so you're, then like the, the demon-possessed, it says that they, um, they fell down before him and they cried out, You are the Son of God. And so the people, they're just looking at him, they're just like, they just want a healer. That's all that they know. But the, like here are these demons that are manifesting these people, and they're like, no, dude, we know who you are. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. Like you're, it's, you're the one that they have been waiting for. You're the one that was promised. Um, in a sense, uh, they're probably being like, you're the one that's come to destroy us, right? Like we know exactly who you are. And so as a disciple, 
here it is. The crowds, they don't get it, but the demons get it. And they're saying, you're the son of God. And, and maybe there's this chance to be like, finally, like just, yes, that's who he is. That's who he is. And yet, Jesus tells them to be quiet. Like verse 12. He strictly ordered them not to make him known. So why is this self-control? Where Jesus was, he was just as capable of, getting, of his ego getting swept up in the hype in the moment as we would be. Like, can you imagine like, being, being pursued and desired that much? I don't think any of us has ever been, been in a situation where like, the crowds were like, just trying to get to us. One, I went on a mission trip one time, and uh, we were in Sri Lanka, and we played this, this big music festival, and they kind of hodgepodged a band together from Baton Rouge, uh, of all places in, in the world, you know, and so they're like, this band from America is coming, and um, we, we got there, and they were kind of prepping us to like, play this thing, and they are like, okay, so it'll be like, probably, over the course of the night, 100,000 people will come and go from this big outdoor thing, and... Um, There'll probably be 50,000, 60,000 at a time, but they'll be constantly moving around. And most of them are coming because they love Western music and they think you know, this American band is coming and they're going to want to see you. They're like, so we're going to put, uh, we're going to put three security guards on each of you the whole time. You'll have, you'll have one that's by your side and then two spies in the room, like around you, watching you at all times. So if anything gets crazy, they'll, they'll take care of it. And if it really gets crazy, we're just going to, we're just going to like sweep you up and put you in a van and like take you away from this thing. And we were thinking like, yeah, right. You know, yeah, right. Whatever. And no, it really happened. Like autographs and people like wanting to talk to us and touch us and all this kind of stuff. And it was the, it was the most bizarre thing. Cause we're going like, we are not a band, <laughs> you know, like we are not, we're nothing. We learned like five songs just to come on this thing. We didn't even bring our own instruments. Like, it, we borrowed them from Sri Lankans. And so I, like, I played a bass that I couldn't figure, I could not figure out how this thing worked. It was crazy. And they were trying to get to us and swamping us. And it was funny because we, even though we knew how ridiculous the situation was, it was the weirdest, like, ego stroke, you know? You're like, is this what it's like to be a rock star? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's like adrenaline. And then at the same time, we're like, no, that's ridiculous. It's nothing like that. But, we just kind of got swept up in it. And Jesus could have gotten swept up in this moment of like, here are the crowds. They all want to be healed. I can totally heal them. That's what I came to do. They're, the demons are recognizing me for who I am. So here's a chance to be like, yep, you got it right. I'm the Messiah. Here it is. It's on. Let's do this. And he says, no. He says no to him. So we can observe that for our rabbi. He remains in complete control, internally, externally. He does not get swept up in the moment. So the other thing that's observed is, is his patience. And so why, why is this like a patient moment? There's this thing in Mark that's been, been termed the messianic secret. And it's because uh, all throughout Mark, Jesus does this thing where people... Either people are like, hey, we know who you are. And he's like, yeah, don't tell anybody. Or before they even figure it out, he's like, don't tell anyone that I healed you. You know, it's like he's trying to keep it quiet that he is the Messiah. And so theologians forever have been trying to figure out what, why is that? Like, why, why would he do this thing? And so there's, there's some like ridiculous uh, ideas that are kind of floated out there and stuff, but... The truth is, the time just wasn't right. 
Like it wasn't time for his identity as the Messiah to be revealed. And so he shut it down. Just that simple. And you're thinking, man, he's been waiting like 30 years. Like, isn't he ready to be like, yes, yes, this is it. I mean, he's even like, remember, like Jesus like formed this plan from the beginning of time also. So like, in a linear sense, he's been waiting a long while. And here's this opportunity. The crowds are pressing in. They know he's the healer. The demons are recognizing him. He can connect those dots. All he has to do is nod. And he says, no, be quiet. He keeps it a secret. And it's not secret in a, like there's, it's not in a secret in a weird kind of way. It's in this kind of, uh, of sense of like, no, the timing is not right. So, so no, I'm not going to confirm that. He's completely self-controlled in this moment. And he's completely patient in this moment. All these people, all this hype, all this potential for this to be the moment. And he says, no, this is not the moment. So we as observers are probably initially wanting it to be like, yes, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. This is exciting. We're probably a little disappointed. But if we're looking at his example of like, hey, we're here to observe you and then to imitate you. We can't dismiss this as just, oh, it's just Jesus being Jesus. And that's just, it's just like a, it's just a detail that he told the demons to be quiet and that kind of stuff. And he didn't give in to the, the crowds and stuff like that. It's just a, this is a description of the story. Or is, is this a really special, unique moment where the Spirit of God is showing up to teach us something? And I think he's modeling self-control and patience for us. Like he's saying, like, no, this is, this is how you are to conduct yourselves in a self-controlled and patient way. So let me give you three, three kind of like thoughts that I had in thinking like a disciple. Some things that just came to mind as I was praying through. So what, is, what, do, we do, with, what do we do with this example of our rabbi? Are we supposed to be like, well, that's it. I'll just be patient now. You know? I'll be self-controlled all of a sudden. I'm like, no. Um, three things that really come down to where, where does this originate? Like what's going on with, within Jesus that is making this the reality of this is how he handles this situation? Well, the first, the first thing... Um, is, is that this is like the Spirit of God Himself. Like being self-controlled and being patient. This is just part of who He is, of who God is. It says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not saying that, uh, like, yeah, these are the things that you, that this, is what, this is how good Christians behave. You know, you're loving and you're kind and you're gentle and that kind of stuff. It's like, no, this is the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. Not fruits. One fruit. One fruit shows up in all these different ways. This is who God is, that God is love and God is joy and God is peace and God is patient. That God is gentle, that God is in like, control of his emotions and himself. Like he's, He is all these things. So Jesus is not trying to... It's not like he's like, ooh, I really want to give in to this hype, but I better not. It's like, no, this is inherently who he is. It just naturally flows in his life because that's who God is. So he's not mustering up patience and self-control here. He's just being himself. And what does that have to do with us as disciples? 
That is exactly what is going on with us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is showing up in your life. And you, my friend, are patient. And you are self-controlled. Because that is who God is. That's who He is making you. Now, you and I, we may not always live that out. Like You might be able to look at your track record as being like, no, I'm kind of the opposite of both of those things. Well, that's just us acting in a way that's contrary to who He's made us and who we are. But we don't have to muster those things up. We really, we have to, it's about letting those things be the dominant narrative in our lives. So, if we're looking, if we're looking at this situation as like, yeah, we're, this is something we will never be able to do, you know. Like if you're being apprenticed and you're, you're being mentored, but yet the whole time you're like, yeah, but I can never, I can never be that, really. I can just try, kind of get close. I can maybe have some moments of self-control and some moments of patience, but I can never actually be that person. Then that's a lie that's straight from the enemy. Jesus is modeling for you the reality that he is making for us, that he's inviting us into. And so one, just be, be encouraged to know that this is not an impossible standard Jesus is holding out there for you and for me. That Christ in us is the hope of glory, and this is a part of what it looks like. That we would not get, get like swept up in the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but that we would be the kind of people that we want to be. That's who he's made us, and that's who he's making us into And so we can be just like our rabbi in this. So the first thing is this comes from the Spirit of God. The second thing is it comes from, and I hope I can explain this well in the few minutes I have left. He has a divine perspective on the harmony between the micro and the macro. The harmony between this moment and this like eternal story that is happening. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't get caught up in one and ignore the other. He kind of has them, like he, he has them both like in, in consideration. And I'm not saying that in this moment, like he, uh, it's, it's, I'm not trying to like jump into his mind and assume his thoughts. You know, that's a dangerous game to play. But there has to be this, this embracing on Jesus's part of like, okay, what, what is happening right now in this moment versus what is this big story that's being written? Here's, here's what I mean. Um, he could be patient and in control because that day was also part of the future. It's very easy to, to go one, one way or the other. It's very easy to like, have our heads down and be like, I just got to get through today. I just got to get through today. I just got to get through today. And there are some seasons in life when, when, that, I'm not, when that's not a bad way to live your life. You know, there are times where it's like, I just really need like, like to listen to what Jesus says. Of like, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Um, I'm not going to be anxious about my life today. I think that that's per- perfectly fine. But you can only do that if there is this belief in how today connects to this like, big future. And so Jesus didn't, ha- he didn't have to give in to the hype. He didn't have to, um, he didn't have to like, accelerate the timeline. He didn't have to do any of that kind of stuff because he under, like, there had to be this part of him that understood that the micro and the macro are friends. They're not enemies of each other. The big story 
being written means that each moment is calculated and nothing is random. So, the big story being written, it wasn't ready for messianic revelation yet. It's like, hey, here's this, here's this, big, this big story that's been, it's been happening for a long time, and here's this moment, this blip on that story, and he's like, well, it's not ready for messianic revelation yet, so I can just be patient, and I can be self-controlled, because the time is not right yet, because there's this bigger thing that's happening. It just wasn't time yet, so he said, well, not today. And the people weren't ready. That's the real the big thing with the Messianic secret is the people weren't ready for Jesus to be like presented as the Messiah. They were still very hung up on the, the Messiah was like a military and political figure. And so let's think about it the other direction. You got this crowd and all of them are there to see this guy. And they're like, he's the healer, he's the healer, he's the healer. And these demon-possessed people are like, you're the son of God, you're the son of God. And everyone's like, what's going on, what's going on? And Jesus says, yes, that's true. What do you think is, is about to go down? And this part of, of the region, they're about to be like, okay, let's go get some swords. And let's go get some shields. Let's go make some weapons out of random stuff. Because the Messiah is here, and we're about to, we're about to take Rome down. That's what they thought the Messiah was there to do. And so for Jesus to confirm that in the moment is basically to, to take these people's incomplete understanding of the Messiah and say, yes, let's do that thing. Jesus is like, no, 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 you're not ready to know who I am yet. So rather than, rather than tell you something that's not good for you, I'm going to keep it a secret. And I'm going to continue just to teach and heal and show you what the kingdom is about. And I'm going to do this for a long, long time, over and over and over again, until there's at least a group of people who is like, hey, um, I don't think it's military and political. I think the kingdom is about love. And then he's like, yes, you understand. I'm going to hand you the keys. Die, raise from the dead, uh, ascend, send you the spirit, scatter you out. And then a bunch of years later, random people are going to be sitting on Richland Avenue in Baton Rouge talking about it. That's what's going on. So the micro, like here's this moment. And Jesus is like, this, is not, this doesn't have to be the moment. Because there, uh, there is a moment that's coming. And so how do we, like we have to hold both of those things in, like, in view of each other. That we want God to do stuff right now. Big stuff. Got to happen. But maybe that's not where you are in your story. Like you as an individual. Maybe that's not where you are in the journey. Maybe this big story that he's writing over history is composed of a whole bunch of little stories. Like your story and my story. And, and how those stories all weave together to make this tapestry is pretty amazing. But what if it just isn't time in your story for certain things that happen yet? Can you be patient and self-controlled in the face of that? You can if you understand that today is a part of the future. But if you're only focused on today, or you're only focused on the future, then all you want to do is like accelerate the timeline and take control. And that's exactly what the devil tries to get Jesus to do when he's tempting him in the desert. And instead of being like, yeah, I'm the boss. i gotta, I got to get this going. i got to do this. i got to take control. We just sit back and we say, no, I believe in a greater story being written. And so today is today. And it fits into my future. They're both strategic and they're both on purpose. So, um, you know, the triumphal entry, that's really, that is the, that's the moment. Like here, here in this, this on the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, here in this moment, like that's not the moment. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem, 
that starts Passion Week, that is the moment. And so Jesus has this opportunity to accelerate that. He says, no, it's not for now. There is a time coming. There is a triumphal entry coming. This is not it. So what am I going to do today? I'm going to keep the demons quiet. It's not for today. Patience and self-control. Here's the third thing. It's very much related. There's, there's a deep belief in the holiness of the big story. Like the, When I say holiness, I'm talking about like the perfection of the big story. That there's a divine timing that just happens with everything. Israel waited 400 years without hearing from God after hundreds of years of waiting for the Messiah. And then when the fullness of time had come, Mary, Joseph, Bethlehem, baby Jesus, silent night, all that stuff. When the fullness of time had come, that, that God has this divine calendar and he, he just knows. And so Jesus, he had to believe in the holiness, the perfection of, of that timeline, of that story, of knowing this day on the Sea of Galilee was not the day to say, the Messiah's here, let's make a plan. That day was coming. And for us, like, I, I know like, we all have things in our lives where we're like, I wish God would hurry up and do this. And it could be something personal. It could be all the way to those days when you're like, can't Jesus just come, just come back already? Like, isn't the world crazy enough? Like, can we just, like, let's do this thing, you know? So from the personal all the way to the second coming of Jesus, we have this, like, angst in terms of waiting and I don't think that that's lost on Jesus. Do you have to wait 30 years, and then you had to wait three more years? You know, I mean, it's, it's tough. But if we believe in this perfect story that he's writing, that like his, like his divine calendar is better than your iPhone calendar, then you know what that does is that helps us it helps us just chill a little bit. And we're like, okay, if I can be reminded that the micro and the macro are both in harmony with each other, that today absolutely is an eternal thing, like then my stewardship of today is just like, okay, God, what do you have for me today? Today is not random. I'm not gonna coast through today because I it's not the going the way I wish it would, or the timeline is off or whatever. I, I'm not gonna just throw my hands up and be like, You don't love me anymore, you don't really care, you're not in control because I'm not getting my way. No, because the fruit of the spirit in you is patient and self controlled. And so we're able to be just like our rabbi and to say, you know what? Today's not the day for that. There will be a day for those things, but today Today, I'm just going to be faithful with today. And believe that like faithfulness today, faithfulness tomorrow, and faithfulness tomorrow is just me honoring God one day after another. You relax into that divine calendar, and you just, then, next thing you know, you're, just, you're being a loving, peaceful, gentle, faithful person. Like, there's more of those qualities that begin to emerge in our lives, and we're becoming the kind of people that we want to be. And, Next thing you know, we're not looking at our rabbi stunned by his patience and self-control. We're, we're looking at him and we're like, man, I'm so much more like you than I used to be. It's amazing what you're doing. He's like, yeah, because I'm, I'm not just apprenticing you. I'm not just mentoring you. I'm transforming you. 
I'm bringing you into my life. So, we observe the amazing self-control and patience of our rabbi. He says, imitate me, be holy as I am holy. You and I have got to look at that and say, yeah, I can do that. In your, with, with you helping me, I can do that. On my own, I can't. With you, I can. And then you apply it to wherever you are in your life. So, where does it meet you? I have no idea. But it meets us. It does. I hope that you're encouraged by this. I hope that you don't feel like this is an unattainable thing. Um, the enemy wants to keep you believing that. And Jesus is just saying, come on, come on, come on. Wherever, whatever's going on in your life today absolutely matters. This season of your life absolutely matters. Let's stand together. And Jesus is inviting you to, to respond to uh, his offer. He's holding out his life to us. And so um, there's a few different ways that we do this on Sundays. We sing together. We, you can come and pray down here. You can, you can give financially. Like that's, a big, that's a big part of um, what he's called us to do. And, um, and there's the communion line. Taylor's going to be serving tonight. And Taylor's serving, but it's Jesus holding out his body and blood. Um, so you'll tear the bread, you'll dip it in the juice. Um, Taylor's going to say, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you. And as we're doing that, it's just this reminder of his activity in our lives. And so as you step into the line or to come pray or whatever it's going to be, um, perhaps we can do so, we can respond in all these ways, keeping in mind, like, that today absolutely matters. And eternity absolutely matters. That God is doing these amazing things among us. Let me pray for us and we'll sing. God, we love you and we thank you. Um, God, I'm thankful that uh, we don't have this impossible model out in front of us. But you are inviting us into something that you have made attainable by your spirit dwelling within us. And so... um, Would you help us in whatever application you have in mind? Um, Would you help us just to continue to say yes to you, to acknowledge your activity in our lives, to to know that nothing is random that's going on. We need your help in terms of patience, and we need your help in terms of self-control. Would you help us to, um, maybe to take some of these things to heart? for us to have that same perspective on what you're doing. And you could remind us of that through these songs and through communion and prayer. So as we close in these moments, help us to do so with all these things in mind. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, the communion line is open. You can respond as you feel led as we close.